0: Some Americans were dismayed yesterday to see their president standing in Havana, Cuba's Revolution Square under an enormous image of the psychopathic, murdering communist Che Guevara. Some Americans were disgusted and even nauseated to see the so-called leader of the free world attending a wreath-laying ceremony for revolutionary poet Jose Marte after he had refused to appear at the funerals of Margaret Thatcher, Chris Kyle, Nancy Reagan, Antonin Scalia, as well as the memorial for the victims murdered by Islamic terrorists in Paris. Some Americans were further moved to grind their teeth in rage while their gorges rose with revulsion when President Obama put his hand on his heart during the Cuban ceremony when he had previously neglected to cover his heart during the playing of the American national anthem here at home. And of course, when Cuban President Raul Castro lifted Obama's arm and the President's wrist went limp as if he were an effeminate marionette being manipulated by an oppressive communist dictator. In a humiliating show of fascist power over democratic weakness, some Americans ripped the photo of the event out of their newspapers, shredded them into little pieces, ate the pieces, then spit them on the floor, then ground them under their heels, saying words that can't be repeated here. Later, when Obama implied he personally agreed with the dictator Castro's criticism of the United States... Some Americans punched a hole in their television sets and reached inside through the broken glass in the hope they might catch the president by the collar, drag him into their living room, and slap him until his head snapped back and forth like a pennant at a windy football game. Then, while the president was still seeing stars, lift him into the air by his heels and drive the top of his head into the floor repeatedly as if he were a jackhammer, before biting him in the crotch like a wild animal. Some Americans... Realizing that the president has now paved the way for American dollars to pour into the coffers of communist thugs who terrorize, torture, and imprison anyone who disagrees with them, felt that the president should have two heavy American law books smashed against the sides of his head like cymbals until the words to the Constitution were forced out of his mouth and the stars and stripes appeared in his rolling eyeballs while his teeth rattled, making a noise vaguely like America the Beautiful, a noise he would never think to make on his own. Those, of course, are only the feelings of some Americans. Those who are watching the basketball and don't know what the hell is going on. We here at the Daily Wire feel that Americans everywhere need to show proper respect for the office of the presidency by electing a different president. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is the Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> this. <laughs> He's, such, he's so bad. He should change his name to like Osaka. <laughs> oh, Stinko! <laughs> he drives me so crazy. I can't even come up with a funny name for it. All right, so let's let's cheer ourselves up by talking about the Constitution. Remember, the, remember the Constitution. Neither do I. Well, it used to be the law of the land. And you can dream, what if, what if it was a requirement for every person in public office to sleep with a copy of the Constitution under their pillow? Ah. And instead of simple random drug tests, we'd have simple random constitutional rights tests and then cart them away to re-education camps if they couldn't pass them. That's I just put that in there. I'm sorry. I am sorry if you want to if you would like to fully understand the Constitution and your constitutional rights and remember vaguely what they used to be back before in the old days when we had a constitution that we obeyed, I encourage you to check out the free online course, Constitution 101 at Hillsdale College. You can sign up for Hillsdale College's Constitution 101 for free at Hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. It'll show up in your inbox with an actual lecture, series of lectures on the Constitution that's hillsdale.edu slash andrew know your rights and remember the constitution before it fades away forever <laughs> 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 all right boy oh boy what a day so as as we're coming on the air there are these terrible uh attacks in brussels more as as obama would say more random folks killing random folks randomly for random reasons this is after surprisingly they they hid the guy who or, organized the Paris attacks for weeks and, and months before they finally arrested him. So so Obama made a quick comment on this as he was celebrating the uh, dictatorship in Cuba. But at this point, have you noticed that Obama's popularity rate Ratings go up. The less he's in the news, like if you don't see him, if he's not doing what he does and saying what he does, people like him more. You know, they they have this idea in their head that they like Obama. You know, they, they just have this idea. Oh yeah, Obama. I remember. I don't remember what he did exactly, but and then you find out what he did, and it's like, oh man, that's terrible. That's then his then his popularity <laughs> stinks because he stinks. He's a terrible president. That guy's a terrible president. I mean, what you he, he's living in Obama world. He's living in like this this his own imagination. This is the thing that I was watching. You know, I used to be a, a reporter. Briefly, I was a newspaper reporter, which was one of my favorite jobs. But For about a year, I was a newspaper reporter. And I, I was never, like, a great reporter because I was always more interested in the psychology of what was going on than in the facts that I was supposed to be reporting. So they would send me out to, like, a budget meeting, and I would come back, and I would say to the editor, I had this wonderful editor, wonderful woman, very bright, sweet, you know, soft-spoken woman. She... I would say to her, you know, it was really interesting. I would describe the characters. I would describe what they wore, how they behaved, you know, what their hands, what their, you know, uh, physical stances revealed about them. And she'd say, how much was the budget? And I'd have to get on the phone and, like, call these guys up at, like, 12 30 at night. <laughs> and I forgot to ask the actual amount of the budget, you know. So so I, I have to say, watching this, this uh, political season, let's call it, because it's all the politics – I feel like, you know, okay, sure, the The republic is falling, we're betraying all our principles, and, you know, the, the, every, everything is, is, you know, the Muslims are running riot over Europe and devouring one of the greatest cultures that ever existed. Okay, but it's a really excellent time to observe the way psychology works, and especially the way, you know, original sin works, because original sin is not just a river in Egypt. Actually, original. There is no. <laughs> it even sounds like I don't know why I said that. But but you know, if you watch, if you watched this press conference yesterday in Cuba, Barack Obama and Raúl Castro, the brother of Fidel, the brother of the murdering dictator Fidel, a, himself also a murdering dictator who arrests anybody who disagrees with him, who's arresting people as Obama's boarding the plane, they're dro- dragging people into well you. <laughs> Well, let's hear from Raul first. Raul gets up. They have this conference. Raul and Obama talk behind the scenes. And then Raul Castro gets up and he attacks the United States. You know, he says, you may talk about human rights. We like human rights, but you don't, you, you don't even know what human rights are in your country. Listen to, listen to this in translation.
1: We defend human rights. In our view, political, civil, economic, political, social sociales y culturales social and cultural son indivisibles indivisible, interdependientes interdependent, y universales no concebimos que un gobierno no defienda y garantice el derecho a la salud la educación la vivienda social a la alimentación y al desarrollo el salario igual por el trabajo A igual y los derechos de los
0: yes that's right even looks like even looks like a monster he's not you know yes i the rights of children i like children they are very good with salt and pepper i enjoy them very much and i have the right to do anything i want those are my human rights so let me show you a picture this is a picture of obama's plane flying into cuba and if you can't see it i will describe it what you're looking at in cuba are these shacks that could come out of a village in africa and cars all <laughs> me these cars are like in 19, you know, 40 when they were first making cars these are the models they rejected you know okay these are the ones where they said no no we can make a better car than this you know i mean a model T is a lot better than this thing you know i mean they are living in 1930 they're living in the past because of this economic system and because of this dictatorship and all the money goes to the military, all the money that Obama's gonna bring into the country by encouraging tourism, it's all gonna go to the military, people who drag people out of their homes in the middle of the night, knock on your door, drag you into prison, throw you into prison, and leave you there if you're lucky and they don't hang you or beat the living daylights out of you every day. That's 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 this guy is lecturing the president of the United States, okay, on human rights. Right. On economic rights. See, you guys don't have you don't have free health care like we have here. You know, like at Michael Moore. He's he's, the guy is Michael Moore. In fact, you never see Michael Moore and Raul Castro in the same place at the same time. The same guy. Oh, we have free health care. I mean, if you look at this picture, the health care they have there, they may may have leeches or something. They give you for free. I mean, anybody, anybody can walk into an American E.R. and get free health care at a level. Exponentially better than they are getting there, so it's all baloney. Now, listen to Obama's response. Play well. Let's play. Play Obama's first one. Number one.
1: President Castro, I think, has pointed out that, uh, in his view, making sure that everybody's getting a decent education or health care uh, has basic uh, security and old age, that those things are human rights as well. Uh, I personally would not disagree
0: with <laughs> So Okay, stop it um, there. He, so, he, so he personally would not disagree with Gorgo, the, <laughs> <laughs> the human destructor, <laughs> this guy who has been stomping on the human face. He is the boot that has been stomping on the human face forever. I personally would not disagree with him about this. Play, play the second one, because he goes on in this vein.
1: I actually welcome President Castro... Uh, commenting on uh, some of the areas where he feels the work falling short, because uh, I think we uh, we should not be immune or afraid of uh, criticism or discussion as well. Uh, here's the one thing I do know uh, is that when I talk to Cuban Americans – and, Jim, you're second generation, and, uh, and, and so I, I think I speak uh, – not for you directly, but for many that I uh, talk to uh, uh, around the United States, I think there's enormous hope that there can be reconciliation and the bridge that President Castro discussed can be built between the Cuban-American community and Cubans uh, here.
0: it's just like this is like the bully in in like junior high school the bully comes up and punches the little nerd in the face and the little nerd says well i welcome your your opinion i welcome your criticism this tyrant this like monster this oppressor of an entire island this guy who has kept an entire island in poverty and want and oppression for years and decades and decades he welcomes his criticism of the united states and he personally he wouldn't disagree you know he such a reasonable guy. He's always there on the right side of history, our president. What a crappy president he is, you know? I mean, it's just hard to... the, The mind hardly... But what it is, really, is that it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about how understanding how open minded he is, how you know, Jay, we're gonna build a bridge together. There's gonna to be a bridge so that all, you know, please, you know, anybody who wants to leave Cuba, you know, no, I don't see anybody, I don't see a single person swimming to Cuba on a you know, an inner tube, okay? There's only people coming one way trying to get the hell out of that place. And but he welcomed it's all about Obama. And this is the thing, this is this is actually what I wanna talk about is the It's the quality of narcissism because Trump criticizes him. Trump came back and criticized the way he behaved because Raul Castro didn't show up at the airport to shake his hand. So here's Trump's criticism of of Obama's visit.
2: I mean, we are
0: amateur hour, folks, amateur hour. And honestly, Obama should have turned the plane around and left. No, he should have. You should have turned it around, you should have said, bye-bye. I mean he's not here? And I'm not knocking Castro. I mean, if they can get away with this stuff, it's great. They're making a great deal, because, you know, they're making a deal. I said, it's fine to do it, but you've got to make a better deal, like the clause I told you about. But, honestly, number one, it should never happen. But if it did happen, it's called,
2: bye-bye, we'll see you in a couple of years, or maybe a couple of decades. You don't, you don't do that. He got in his car, he drove, nobody to shake his head. Isn't that incredible, Pamela? I mean, can you imagine?
0: See, that's... He's the same guy. He's the same guy. You never see Trump and Obama in the same place either because they're the same guy. It's all about this personal affront to Obama's dignity. And he's inviting you into that. See, this is what narcissists do. You know, narcissists invite you in to their personal world so that their hurts become your hurts, their triumphs become your triumphs, and your triumphs and your life and and the reality, the principles of the thing cease to matter at all. You know, so, so. Castro didn't show some protocol by showing up to shake his hand. That's the issue. It's not the fact that he dragged women off the streets before Obama got there. As Obama's boarding a plane, he's dragging women dissidents off the streets and throwing them into prison because they disagree with him. That's not the problem. The problem is he didn't shake his hand. We're gonna come back to this in a minute. The quality of narcissism is just is really the thing I want to talk about but let us pause for a moment to consider your actual problems instead of their problems and their dignity and their affronts let's consider your privacy and how to protect your privacy from big tech companies and from the government because big tech companies obviously are scanning your email you know this and every time you mention something that sounds like a product they load your computer with advertisements for that product it's really creeps me out. It's very weird stuff. The government is taking anything they can find out about you and just keeping it in their huge NSA databases. But you can take back some of your privacy, at least, by getting an email account at Reagan.com. You will get your name at Reagan.com, and that'll be your private email address. So you can have President Reagan's name on all your emails, which will... Is guaranteed to improve your emails immediately. They'll, they'll give them more dignity and more stature, and suddenly people will take you seriously. Where I, I don't, I don't know how to break this to you, but they're not now. So when you get Reagan.com on your email address, it will elevate your emails, and you know your emails will never be scanned or shared with third parties. So go to ReaganPrivacy.com right now. That's the website, ReaganPrivacy.com. Sign up, get your personal private email address. At ReaganPrivacy.com and you get two free months. All right. Narcissism. This is what we're watching is narcissism. Now, narcissism, you know, therapists have this book, The DSM, and that it describes all the different things that all the different symptoms that you might see if somebody comes into your office. How do you know if he has narcissistic personality disorder? So for instance, on narcissistic personality disorder, the DSM, the diagnostic something manual, I can't remember what it's called. One, he has a grandiose sense of self importance. He exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. <laughs> Does <laughs> it right. so, sound like anyone we know? I right, do. He's preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. We can't know anything about that. Believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or associate with other special people. Requires excessive admiration. Has a sense of entitlement. Is interpersonally exploitative. Takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. Lacks empathy. Is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. Shows arrogant, haughty behaviors. Attitudes. Now that describes almost all politicians. I mean, I think all politicians and actors and uh, celebrities have qualities that, of narcissism. But for me, and I've having been in show business a lot and the arts a lot, I've dealt with a lot of narcissists. And the thing that always defines—I mean, the joke about writers like me is—you know, how many writers does it take to screw in a light bulb? It's one to hold the light bulb while the world revolves around him. You know, <laughs> that's—I that's you know you're dealing with artists. But but for me, the true hallmark of narcissism is that you don't really understand the reality of other people that you really think the world is taking place inside your imagination and it's all about you it's all about the hurts that you're experiencing the pain that you're experiencing your own fragility your own achievements everything is about you 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 it's never about uh you know how you should sacrifice for somebody else, how you should take a hit for your integrity, how you should stand up for your principles even if it means you make less money. It's never about that. It's always about how you are going to position yourself as the hero of the story. And here is the most important thing to know about narcissism. It works. Narcissism draws people into your fantasies, okay? You see this all the time. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to pick on Kim Kardashian. I don't really know anything about Kim Kardashian. But just to use her as an example, use anybody in People magazine. People open People magazine and they see some actress they've never met is getting divorced, is going into rehab, and you get these messages, oh, my prayers are with them. Oh, poor Kim, poor, you know, this one or that. And you think, like, well, you don't know that person. There, there's, a, there's millions of people you don't know who don't have the resources that that actress has. <laughs> you could actually go down to your local homeless shelter and maybe help them out. Maybe, like, spoon a little soup into their bowl or something like that. But you sit around reading, you know, People magazine and you pipe your eye, there's a little tear in your eye, and you feel some kind of validation in yourself. And this is, like, the, the impulse behind this, there's nothing wrong with it, is the impulse that makes art work. When you go and watch a movie and the heroine dies and there's a long death scene and you cry, that woman that you're looking at doesn't exist. She's not really dying. She's not really sick. She isn't really there. She never lived. And yet your heart is moved and you're pulled along in this what Aristotle called the catharsis. You know, you have this kind of uh, upsurge of emotion. You attach yourself to something else and it, it reveals something about yourself to you. But You are giving the author authority, those two words are related, you're giving the author authority because he's on your side. He just wants to reveal something, he wants to entertain you, he wants to reveal something about life to you, he wants to tell you something. When you do that with a politician or a celebrity, you're giving power away to somebody who's actually going to use that power against you. And when you are pulled into that world, you are losing your sense of yourself and what you're about. It's not about Donald Trump and whether somebody shook his hand. It's not about Obama and how understanding he is. It's about two Systems that deal with with ordinary people every day whose lives are real. Those Cubans. Their lives are real. The fact that they can't speak their mind, that's real. The fact that their cars look like they came out of the Flintstones, that's real. You know, that is a real life that they live. Those shacks that they live in, that's a real life that d- doesn't have to be that way. They do not have to live that way. They live that way so Raul Castro can live in his palace and his soldiers can get all the money and girls that they want. That's why those people have to live that way, because they want the power. And the thing is, freedom, capitalism, does not give authorities that kind of power. It gives that power to you. And so it requires you to have a sense of yourself that overrides their narcissism. And it's very hard to get people to do that, you know. And I think it's getting harder as we get more and more connected. And this is something I started talking about yesterday but didn't have time to talk about, is our sense that something must be done that is radical and drastic and we need these guys like Donald Trump to come in and just clear the stables. He's going to clear the Aegean stables. That was one of the labors of Hercules. He had to clean out the stables of the gods. So so he had to divert a river to wipe all that horse crap out of these stables, okay? So we think that's how we're looking at Trump. Things are so bad. They're so stuck. They're so awful that, Don, that even this guy who's a monster, even people who know what he is, who know he's like a lowlife, just say, oh, yeah but this is what we need. This is what we need. So I just wanted to stop for a minute because this is is Holy Week, and I've always been fascinated by Good Friday. Good Friday is the the Friday of this week. It's the day on which Christ was crucified, and they call it good. I don't know why they call it good. I guess it means it's holy, so I guess it's good because things worked out, but it wasn't good when it happened, and so here you are. You've hitched your wagon to a star. You know, this is Jesus. He's going to lead you. He has saved you. He's spoken to you. He's talked to you. You know who he is. You know what he is. And you think like, this is it. The good times are coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. And then he's dead. And the crowd is cheering him. They're throwing, they're, you know, bargaining his feet away. He's killed in the most depressing humiliating way possible he's naked on a cross in front of everybody dying breathing his last it's the worst day you've ever had and there is no hope there is no hope and i've always been fascinated by the fact because we forget this because we know the end of the story we know that things turn around but in that moment in that moment what are these people saying (laughs) it's only these crazy women even later it's only these crazy women and nobody listened to women then there's all these crazy crazy women came back and said you know the tomb is empty, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, and the women tell you, you don't listen to that. But for that day, for that Good Friday, it's the lowest moment possible. It's the lowest moment possible. And if you were listening to right-wing radio at that moment, you know, they'd be saying, well, it's over, you know, folks, <laughs> you know, you thought you thought things were going to be okay, you thought the Savior had come, but now we're all screwed. That's what you'd be hearing on right-wing radio. You know, you remember, remember a, a couple of months ago, it was like, I don't know, six, seven months ago that Turkey shot down a Russian jet and I played... Glenn Beck saying it's the end of the world, it's World War III. You know, I love Glenn. He's, he's a great guy, and he's always looking for, you know, that moment. He's always worried that that moment is coming. Do you? Does anybody remember, besides Putin, that the turkey shot down that jet? You know, it's gone. And does anybody go on the air and say, wow, you know, next time, I'm going to be a little slower with my predictions. I was wrong. Next time, I'm going to be—no, never, okay? So let's just think about the fact for, for a moment that things are getting better. Things are getting better all around the world. Poverty rate has dropped, I think, in the last 20 years. It's off the top of my head, but I think it's been halved in the last 20 years. Think about that. In the last 20 years, it's been halved. Half people are now out of poverty because of free market capitalism, because property rights are extending, governments are letting go a little bit of their grip. There are guys like Raul Castro being thrown out of power and more legitimate governments are coming in across Africa and places like that. Violence... I don't know if, I can't remember if I mentioned this yesterday, during World War II, I I think it was 300 people per 100,000 a year were being killed by violence during World War II. Today, it's one, okay? It used to be a half, and then the Syrian war started, and it's one. So here's here's Steven Pinker. He's a guy at Harvard, writes these wonderful science books. I don't agree with everything he says. I think when he talks about religion, I, I obviously don't agree with him. But Obviously, a very bright guy, a man, a man of goodwill. He wrote an entire book about violence. Here's him talking about why people can't see the reduction in violence. There's some parts of the world that are, are uh, quite you know, nasty and ugly. Uh, and, of course, those are the ones that make the news. The parts of the world that are at peace don't attract headlines. You just never see a reporter saying, here I am on the street of streets of uh, the capital of Angola, and uh, there's no civil war. But a few years, a few decades ago, uh, there would have been a civil war there. Now that there isn't, it, by definition, it's not news. So this, this is from a website that the, the Cato Institute, which is a, a right-wing institute, puts out called Human Progress. Uh, I found it through Glenn Reynolds, who is the we call him the blog father. He runs Instapundit. He's a great guy and one of the great bloggers of all time. So at Human Progress is run by a guy from the Cato Institute named Marion Tupi. And he, is, he talks about here why it is, why it is that people cannot hear good news.
2: Why is it that we are so ready to believe bad news? And I think that there are at least, not exhaustive list, but at least two very important reasons. One is that um, anthropologists believe that we have evolved to prioritize bad news. You know, it was the pessimists who survived, people who were always on the lookout for bad things happening, and it was the optimists who got uh, um, robbed, cheated, killed, or eaten by lions, what have you. So biologically, we may be predisposed to react to bad news much more so than good news. But also there is ideology, which is to say that... um, A lot of people have been taught from early age that uh, the world is an awful place and that capitalism is the primary force responsible for making the world a worse place. And so people who are biased against free markets and capitalism uh, can do one of two things. Uh, They can either ignore the good news or they have to change their premises. They have to change their basic outlook on life. And a lot of people choose to ignore the good news.
0: Okay. Who doesn't like capitalism? The powerful don't like capitalism. The powerful, even the guy who runs the big corporation, you would think, well, that's the typical capitalist. No, he does not like it. If he if he runs the big computer firm and you in your garage make a computer the size of a quarter that can do everything that his computer can do, he does not want you to be able to be free to compete with him because you'll wipe him off the map in a heartbeat, right? So he wants there to be more regulations. He wants there to be more red tape. He wants there to be more government control. He wants the government to be quality because you can't afford the lawyers that he can to get your quarter size computer out there. Nobody likes capitalism except the little guy trying to make his way, except the Uber driver likes capitalism. The guy who invents the Uber app likes capitalism until he becomes the big firm. Then he wants to stop the next Uber down the line, okay? So if you've got guys who are narcissistic, if you're being led by narcissists like Donald Trump and Barack Obama, they don't like capitalism because it takes the grandeur away from them, okay? And if you allow yourself to be pulled into their narcissistic daydream, then you start to dislike capitalism too, and you start to have fantasies of things being much, much worse than they are because you need that strong man to come and take you away. We all have that instinct in us to attach ourselves into other people's lives and other people's imaginations Let our to let our life be subsumed by their imagination. They don't like capitalism because there's not the same uh, opportunities for graft and for grandeur, for them, for the powerful people. The opportunities are all for you. And so you have to detach like the guy with E.T. You have to pull away and live your own life and look at your own situation and ask yourself, how bad is it? How bad is it? Do I really need a Donald Trump to burn the house down? Do I really need a Barack Obama to lead me to hope and change? Do I really need a stronger government to tell me to fix my life? Or can I do it myself if they will just leave me alone? Okay, that's, that was the point I wanted to get to before the week is out. (laughs) It may look like, it may, Good Friday may look like one thing, but it may be an entirely different thing, and you may just have to follow the right God. All right, stuff I like. It is uh, Holy Week stuff I like. I do want to plug again, because it's Holy Week, I'll plug The Great Good Thing, my memoir, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. It is the memoir of my conversion. It it will come out in September, but you can pre-order it now, and I hope you will. The Great Good Thing. Stuff I Like. Now, I mentioned this play once before, but I'm pretty sure I didn't give it a Stuff I Like thing. It's a play called Underneath the Lintel by Glenn Berger. Many years ago, maybe more than 10, maybe as many as 15, I took a trip to New York with my wife. <clears throat> we love the theater. We didn't have a lot of time while we were there, so we got off the plane and we went to, just picked up Time Out magazine and picked a, a small theater and went to this play, Sight Unseen. So we go to this place in the middle of nowhere and... The cabbie didn't even know where it was. I mean, New York cabbies are usually pretty good. No idea where this thing was. It took us forever to find it. We get in, we sit down in the seat. My wife is exhausted. She falls asleep, and this one man play starts. And I look over at my wife, and she's asleep. I don't want to wake her up, but I realize I'm watching one of the best plays I've seen in many, many years. It's called *Underneath the Lintel* by Glenn Berger. It has since become, because it's a one man play, it has since gotten a lot of performances around the country. It's the story of a very persnickety librarian, a Jewish librarian, I think, who is in this, uh, I can't remember where he is, maybe Vienna, and a book is returned that's been kept out for hundreds of years. And he starts to ask himself, how is that possible that somebody took out a book and kept it for hundreds of years? And so he starts to go on this worldwide hunt to find the person who took out this book, and he begins to believe that it's someone very special that leads him back to the story of Christ's crucifixion. And so it's Christ's crucifixion reflected on by a Jewish guy. And so it's not a purely, you know, celebratory story. It's a very deep, painful story of suffering and history and the meaning of the crucifixion and the meaning of the existence of God. It is really good. It's a one-person play. So it's almost worth reading. I mean, if you can read it, it's, it's really entertaining. Uh, if you can see it, uh, it's great. I mean, and and they do put it on in local theaters. That's the only reason I I always hate to mention plays because they're hard to find. Underneath the lintel, stuff I like by Glenn Berger, really good play, and uh, worth looking at uh, this Holy Week or any time. I'm Andrew Clavin. We have two primaries tomorrow, right? Arizona and Utah, and then America Samoa or something like that. Like that. Okay. So that should be entertaining. We'll come back and talk about that tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then. Thank <laughs>